Good morning. Welcome to Recreate Church, the gathering of life and love. Oh, yes. Where you are wanted, you are welcome, and you are loved. I am so glad you came out today in this bone-chilling cold weather. To me, it's bone-chilling. So (laughs) we was waiting for spring, but I guess we've got to wait a little bit longer. But we have coffee and refreshments over there for you that want to get warmed up. And before Michael comes up and gives us God's message about something about a scary lion, um, David's going to share some exciting news that we have for you guys. We're happy to announce that Recreate is ready to spring into summer with small group meetings. And we're offering a study by David Jeremiah in First and Second Thessalonians. The cost of the study guide is $12. The study will take us through the epistles of Paul, and they're designed to help us stand strong through trials, and it will inspire us as followers of Christ to persevere in our faith. I think we all need this kind of encouragement. It's a 12-week study, and we will meet beginning the week of April 18th for an hour and a half each session. We have sign-up sheets at the door, and uh, on those sheets you have a couple of options for times. Currently we're looking at Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. and Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. So if you're interested, let us know, and you can see either myself or Lucy about more details. And we just pray you all have a blessed time. Lord, we want to give this time to you. Pray that you would... Speak to us all, Lord, that you would bless Michael as he gives the message that you've given him for us. And I pray all that hear it, Lord, would just be blessed and would grow, not those just here today, but those in the evening service and all those that hear the podcast, Lord. Let your word reign in their lives. We love you. We praise you. Give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David and Lucy so much. This is going to be an exciting Bible study. First and Second Thessalonians is a couple of books in the New Testament that don't always get that top billing, but there's so much going on, and I think you'll find them fascinating. A lot of it is going to feel very here and now and present. So we did some of those throwback hymn, uh, worship songs from the 90s. How many of you remember that from the 90s? All right, these are the old people. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, Jamie and I sang this in youth group together, and we're super young. So young. So, of course, so, yeah, yeah. So some of y'all were in youth at the time, or leading youth at the time, or anyway. You know, we're only a few weeks away from Easter. That's exciting. I'm excited about Easter. We're going to have to do something special here I'm going to see if maybe we can put together a breakfast or something. That would be nice. We did that a few years ago. COVID's kind of messed it up for a couple years. I think we need to do that again. So if you'd be interested in helping with that, let me know. And uh, we'll have a baptism pretty soon, shortly after Easter. If uh, I hope so. If we can get that worked out this spring, we'll have a baptism. And uh, I think, I know we have at least one who's ready to be baptized. We may have some more. So talk to me about that. So we finally made it in the book of Daniel to chapter 6 to the story that made Daniel famous. Lots of people know what happened in the lion's den. Spoiler alert, lions didn't 
eat him. So I'm going to go ahead and give that away. The lions didn't eat Daniel. But you already knew that. You knew that. Most people know that if you've been around church or, or have heard anything about it, even if you've not been around church. Most people know the lions didn't eat Daniel. What is not as well known is how Daniel ended up there in the first place. As interesting as Daniel is, I want to talk a little more about the guy who put Daniel in the lion's den and, and why he didn't want to put Daniel in the lion's den, but he was constrained to do so. This message deals with a subject I'm not sure I've ever preached on, um, although it's one of the most powerful manipulations the devil uses to get us off track. It preys on one of our biggest felt needs. We all want to feel like we matter, that we're important. We all want to feel like we measure up, right? We want to feel uh, like we're good at something. And we unconsciously organize our world to give us that message that we're, that we're good enough, to give us some, some validation. According to one survey, 73% of Americans believe they're a better than average driver. Do you think that's true? I mean, y'all are out on the roads, right? Y'all drive. Do those people seem like they know what they're doing? They don't, but we do because we're better than average drivers. According to the same survey, 40% of Americans believe that they're the best driver they know. The best driver they know. Now, I'm not a statistician, but given the fact that 90% of accidents on the highway involve driver error, I think we might be overestimating our abilities a little bit when it comes to how well we drive. Now, I'm, now that I've said all this, I'm, I'm afraid to ask you to raise your hands and say, who thinks they're a really good driver? Would your, would the, okay, how am I going to put it like this? Would your spouse or the person who rides with you most say you're a good driver? Of course, they don't know what they're talking about. How funny it is in most, in most situations, there's one person who's an expert on driving, but it's the other person who does most of the driving. I'm not sure what's up with that. Why doesn't the driving expert do the most of the driving? I can say these things safely because my wife is not at this service. She's at the evening service, and you nice people are not going to narc me out, right? She knows, she knows how to drive ever so much better than me, and, uh, and uh, do not text her. Don't do that. We're friends here. But the, the thing is, what if, okay, okay, what if someone tells you that you're a good driver, someone compliments your driver, and they're not being sarcastic. They're like, say, you know, you are a really good driver. How would that make you feel? That would make you feel really, you already knew you were a good driver. You knew that. But if someone actually says, unsarcastically, you're a good driver, boy, that doesn't make, doesn't make you feel good. I assume it does. It hasn't happened to me yet, but it, it could. I imagine. I imagine it would feel really, really nice. Why? Because it's a validation. A validation feels nice. We, we are wired to like it, to respond positively when someone validates us in, in some way. Compliments activate the reward center in our brains. Actually, your brain responds pretty much the same way to a nice compliment as it does if someone handed you a big wad of cash. Okay, I'm not going to ask you which one you would rather have, but your brain doesn't know the difference really it's just like, whoa, okay, this is, this is really nice. And we all, need some, we all need some validation, right? I am sure that in your house there is somebody who every morning when you roll out of bed, they tell you you're just so beautiful and amazing and smart and you're going you're gonna to do that. Your dog, Lucy says her dog does that. I'm sure David does that. But, you know, I've often said that if you, 
Um, if you're looking for validation from people, you probably aren't going to get that, but a dog will probably give you validation, you know, pretty much every time. Um, you know, I've said many times, lock your, your spouse and your dog in the trunk of your car and leave them there for an hour and see which one's happy to see you when you let them out, and you'll find out who really, really loves you. Um, we all need some validation. We need to receive some messages that, we, that we're good enough, that we're lovable, that we, that we matter, that we measure up. And if we don't get that, that's difficult. That's, that creates a problem for us, absolutely. But if we're, if we're not careful, this good thing can become a bad thing. That boost we get from a compliment or some kind of validation usually doesn't come as often or last as long as we would like. So we come up with ways to get more of a constant stream. We choose the company of people who make us feel good about ourselves, right? We, we choose the company of those people. And, of course, if they don't give us the validation that we think we need, then we are upset with them. And we find sources of news that line up with the thoughts and opinions we already have because it feels really good to be right and it doesn't feel good to be wrong. We have even, as human beings, invented social media platforms so you can intentionally seek some validation for you know your attractiveness or your accomplishments or how smart or amazing your kids or grandkids are. And you can even get a number that says how cool you are today. Oh, that one got 47 likes. You know what I found out with pictures on like Facebook or something? If it's a picture of me, no, not going anywhere. If it's a picture of me with my wife, suddenly the validation comes flowing in. She's... Uh, as uh, Keith and I were discussing this morning, he says, you know, Michael, every time I see Katie, the only thing I can think of is how far she is out of your league. And <laughs> that's a real friend right there. And I said, Keith, that tells you just how charming I am. So, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we, <laughs> there's, a, there's a side of, now you can tell her I said that. You can tell her I said that part, okay? Text her that, Duncan. Text that to her. Michael's saying how pretty you are. Michael's being a jerk again. She knows. Um, there's a side effect, of course, from seeking all this validation. We're wired to seek validation. But that also makes it where we can be very easily manipulated. We can be deceived when it comes to validation. You know, you know who's really good at manipulation and deception? The devil, Satan. And when he first, the first time he ever deceived human beings, he used that kind of manipulation. He said, oh man, you got to try this fruit. You're going to be like gods. Now, how about a val that's a validation, right? I mean, like, well, you're going to be like a god. You're going to be so great. Um, you know, social media hasn't been invented, but you get a lot of likes if they see you posing with this fruit here. Uh, our brains have a hard time telling the difference between real validation and false validation that's manipulation we call it we call it flattery flattery is not a word that we use a lot but um that's really what it is so what does it have to do with daniel and the lion's den well flattery was the reason daniel ended up in the lion's den in the first place without the manipulation of flattery he doesn't end up there and we don't hear the story so let's put the story into into scene um, if you've been tracking with us, if not, go back and, and listen to some of these messages. This is about 60 years after Daniel chapter 1. 60 years since Daniel was kidnapped from Jerusalem, along with 
a lot of other Jewish survivors. Babylon came in and took over the region, and they captured these survivors in Jerusalem, carried them off to Babylon to start a new life. Daniel did really well. He rose to prominence. He became an advisor to the king. He's a teenager when the story begins, but it's been over 60 years. So he is in the neighborhood of 80 years old when this happens. He thinks he's already retired one time, but he was brought out of retirement on the very last day of the Babylonian Empire, and he was there when the Babylonian Empire fell. That was the story of the handwriting on the wall. If you missed that message, go and pick that up. Um, so now there's a new empire. Babylon's gone. The Medes and the Persians are now ruling everything. Darius the Mede is the ruler of what used to be Babylon, this whole big area of Babylon. And Cyrus the Great is the ruler of everything else. He's kind of the, Cyrus is the high king over the whole empire, and Darius is ruling Babylon under Cyrus. So, King Darius, he starts to organize Babylon into administrative districts. We would call them counties, I guess. And that's how we would call it today, counties. Unless you're from Louisiana and they're parishes. Counties. And he sets rulers over each county, like 120 local administrators, and then three governors he sets over different regions that are over these administrators. So he's, he's organizing government here. Um, guess who's one of these three governors? Guess who? Daniel. Gasp. We're surprised. Congratulations to Daniel, first of all, for surviving the fall of Babylon. A lot of people didn't. Daniel is not exactly young at this point. But he's really resourceful. He's just as sharp as ever, though. He's not only been appointed one of the governors, he's doing such a brilliant job that King Darius is considering appointing him over the whole thing, like making him prime minister over all of Babylon. couple of lessons here. We live in a culture that, that worships the idea of youth, that really centers on, on young, attractive people. Ain't nothing wrong with being young. Or attractive, that's fine. But when it comes down to it, sometimes it's, a, it's the folks who've lived a few more years that might should have a bit more influence, you know, on uh, I'm saying this now as the gray hair just keeps on coming on like crazy. So uh, listen to old gray-haired people and not, not those young people who have a TikTok. Because you can lip sync <laughs> to a song does not... Probably probably should not mean that you should be an influencer of anything, but that's, that's old guy talk right there. But here's Daniel. He's showing us that age is an asset. Um, also in our culture, we're told that in order to succeed, you have to compromise your values, especially if you're a believer. But Daniel proves the opposite. He holds on to his values all the way, and he's rising to the top. Um, very successful and very faithful. Of course, not everybody's happy about that. You know, when one person starts to be successful, what can happen with some of the people around them? Some co-workers, maybe? Jealousy. Jealousy starts to happen, and uh, the other people working for the king are very jealous. There are some people for whom the most unforgivable thing you can do is to outshine them. And uh, sometimes you don't even have to work that hard. If you show up at your job every day... Well, you're beating a lot of folks right there because you showed up. You show up at your job every day. You have integrity. You work hard. Some people will not like you for that. Why? Because it makes them look bad. But you just, you just keep on 
you just go, little rock star. You keep on shining, you crazy diamond. You just keep on showing up to work. You do all your job. You do your very best. And God will bless that. Now, your coworkers might not appreciate you for it. Um, but God will bless that if you work hard. So these guys, they did not like Daniel. And they wanted to get rid of him. So they start digging up dirt. All right. We live in an age where it doesn't seem like you have to work very hard to dig up dirt on a politician or a government official. And that's what Daniel was. Not exactly a politician, but he was a, a high official in government. It, it's, you know, we're, we're used to the idea, unfortunately, that there's an awful lot of corruption. And, and back in that day, they must have thought the same. They think, ah, if we can dig up some dirt on Daniel. Daniel has surely done something wrong. Somewhere he's cutting some corners. But he wasn't. Daniel was doing his job and doing it right, and he was doing it with integrity, and he, he always had. Cool thing about the Bible is when the Bible talks about its heroes, it shows them warts and all. We, we hear about men like David who are so amazing, men after God's own heart, wrote most of the book of Psalms, but we also hear about his flaws. We hear about men like Moses who God used in great leadership position, but we also hear about his shortcomings thing is about Daniel, he's one of the few people that we know much about that doesn't seem to have a huge, giant problem with some sin in his life. Daniel is, is exceptional. So they try to think of a way to entrap him. They're like, okay, he's doing a really good job. We can't catch him on that. How can we entrap this guy? Money doesn't seem to matter to him, and I don't think we can get him embroiled in the kind of scandal that normally politicians get involved in, if I don't have to elaborate very much more. Um, because, well, fact of the matter is, probably Daniel and all those young men uh, who were recruited back in Daniel 1 were uh, uh, made eunuchs, and I'm not going to elaborate on that either, but, you know, that kind of scandal is probably not going to happen here. So they're thinking, well, what can he do? What can he, what, how can we trap Daniel? And they get, then they got to thinking, hold on, what do we know about Daniel? Daniel insists on continuing to worship the God of his ancestors. You know, that, that Jehovah God from over in Jerusalem. He keeps worshiping that Jehovah God. And every morning, every midday, and every evening, he stands before his window in his house, and he prays facing towards Jerusalem. He, everybody knows he does this every day, three times a day. Maybe we can use that to entrap him. Now, what a compliment, huh? That the only, only dirt they could get on him is that he was too faithful to his God. I, I, wish, I wish I was so faithful that the only thing somebody could accuse me of is loving Jesus too much. I don't think I've gotten there and not even close. So, so Daniel's enemies hatch a plan using one of the most effective tools in the devil's playbook. They come to the king. They say, oh, King Darius. Boy, they're laying out thick. Oh, King Darius. May you live forever. We've been talking, King. We've been talking, and we agree that you are so amazing. You're so awesome. You're the coolest king we've ever met. And we think everyone should acknowledge you like we acknowledge you. Everyone should recognize how great and how wonderful and how awesome you are. And have you lost some weight? Have you been working out? I can see under those robes, you got some muscles. You're gripped, aren't you, King? I just, we want everyone to think of you like we think of you. So we, we have a proposition for you. We would like you to declare a law that says for the next 30 days, people can pray only to you. And if they pray to any God or any person other than you, 
they should be thrown in a pit full of hungry lions. That's what we think. Now, talk about flattery. (laughs) How would that go over in our time? If we had a political leader who declared themselves to be a god. Probably even the people who voted for that party would have a problem with that, I would like to think. You know, that would not fly in our culture at all. In the ancient world, however, it was more common than you would think. You've probably read stories about how great emperors like Pharaoh or Caesar would declare themselves to be divine. In the the days when Jesus and the apostles lived, emperor worship was a big thing. The Romans would worship their Roman gods, but they would also worship the Roman emperor, uh, whichever Caesar was uh, ruling at that time, they would worship them. So that, that was a thing that was done in that time. Rulers would declare themselves to be divine. Now, okay, we know that's a bad idea. You've probably met somebody who thought they were God, but you were pretty confident <laughs> that they were not. We know this is a terrible idea, but it's just the kind of flattery that gets to a guy like Darius. Because, remember, is Darius the high king over everything? No. Cyrus is the high king over everything. And, and what, is, what is that appellation that is given to Cyrus? He's called Cyrus the Great. Is Darius Darius the Great? No, that's Cyrus. Darius is ruler over one part. He's not like Cyrus. He's not Cyrus the Great. And Darius is not getting any younger. He's probably thinking, we don't know what he's thinking, but we can deduce that he's thinking, okay, wait a minute, I'm not getting any younger. I'm not Darius the Great. Maybe this would be a thing that I could do because he must have known that great emperors sometimes declared themselves to be divine. So for him to go along with this wasn't just, hmm, well, I do feel pretty godly today. No, it was a career move, you see. It was a political career move for him. That would mean he was more of a great one. It's like he's making himself a great emperor. Don't know if Cyrus would have had a problem with that. But uh, here Darius, that appeals to his pride. That sort of flattery gets to him. And uh, he, he's ready to go along with it. He couldn't see that it was a manipulation thing is we're not so good about recognizing manipulation either Uh, this world is full of false validation Um, we want to know we want to feel like we're worthwhile and good and attractive and smart and special but it can be like a trap if you're seeking validation and you don't find it You start looking for love in all the wrong places. That's going to be stuck in your head. You're welcome. (laughs) If you look for validation and you do get it, it doesn't last. It wears off. It's like when you used to take one ibuprofen and it worked. Now you're up to like four for it to work. You know, it starts to, it doesn't, it doesn't equal up like it used to. You build up a tolerance and and frankly, a lot of this, this world tries to flatter us to, to uh, um, play on our need for validation because they want to sell us something or get something out of us. Uh, I know people point at social media and say, ah, oh, that's the problem. Social media did not create the validation monster. 
it just gave it a good place to be fed. It feeds that validation monster. Um, if, if you get the validation on, say, social media that you're looking for, it's always going to have to be a little more next time. It's like, ah, oh, man, my selfie only got 30 likes and it got 32 last time. What's going on? Or, and, of course, it can damage real-world relationships. Uh, if, you, if you don't get the validation that you're looking for, you can feel like you don't matter. Or, or, or worse, if you get it from a place that's really not healthy, it can pull you off in a, the wrong direction. So no Instagram back in the days of Daniel, but they still had a problem with validation. Um, and that includes King Darius. So he took the suggestion of the officials, and he made the law that for the next 30 days, no one could pray to any god or any man but him. Something peculiar about the laws of the Medes and the Persians. In that culture, they believed that their monarchs were infallible. Y'all know what that means? When we hear sirens, we always stop and pray. That's why God's put us on this corner. Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name for the situation that these first responders are going to. And we pray for the folks who are going to help. We pray that you will be there with them and take care of them. And we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So about the laws of the Medes and the Persians. They, they believed their kings could not make a mistake. So when the king declared a law, it couldn't be changed. You couldn't change it. Even if the king quietly regretted making the law in the first place. Which is what we're going to see. So they couldn't change or revoke this law. And it was put into place for the next 30 days. No one can pray to any god or any man except for Darius. Daniel heard about the law. And he's smart enough to figure out that it was probably targeted at him. So what did he do? Did he run and he hide? Did he, did he stop praying? He kept on doing what he did. He just kept on keeping on. He three, day, three times a day, he went to the window of his house that faced Jerusalem, and he prayed openly to the Lord. Why was he facing Jerusalem? Because he knew there was a promise that God would someday bring his people back to Jerusalem. And that was only a few years off at this point. We'll see that in the book of Daniel. He's, that's his expression of faith. He has faith that God's going to keep his promises. So Daniel keeps his commitment too. Let me tell you, in this world, in this life, there will be times where you know what God has promised, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out. You just keep on being faithful. God will be faithful. God will not let you down. He may not do things the way we think He should. He may not do things in the time we think He should. But He will keep His word. What God promised, God will accomplish. Be sure of that. So He's praying outside. He's praying there at His window. And of course, the snitches saw it. That was the whole point of this. And they ran tattling to the king. And I'm sure they were laying it on thick. And they said, oh, King Darius... May you live forever. Um, have we mentioned lately just how great you are? Just how wonderful you are? Just how cool we think you're so cool. I mean, your, your hair looks really great today, Darius. And you wear that crown so very well. Um, you remember how we, uh, you know, we, we think you're so great. It's, it's too bad not everyone thinks so. And Darius must have had an expression change in his face. What do you mean not everybody thinks I'm great? And they said, well, you, you remember... When you made that law, that law, it was, it was our idea, but you, you really liked it, O king. You made that law that said nobody could pray to any god or any man for the next 30 days except for you. Well, we've been keeping that law. But there's this guy named Daniel. He's ignoring that law. He doesn't respect you 
old king. He's been openly praying to his God three times a day. He, you know, he's one of those Jewish guys left over from uh, the Babylonian Empire. You know how they brought some of those Jews? You know, nothing but troublemakers. And, and uh, I don't think he's not honoring you. He's breaking this law. So I guess we need to summon the royal guards and take him to the lion's den, right? We've got to throw him in there with hungry lions. Now, King Darius hears all this and he's kicking himself. Because yes, he knows Daniel. Daniel's his best advisor. He's about to put Daniel in charge of everything, right? So he, he realizes now what it was all about. And he begins to object. And the, and the, the advisor said, well, remember, O king, you know, this is the laws of the Medes and the Persians. They can't be changed. We can't be, uh, can't be revoked. So I guess we're really going to have to feed him to the lions. Not that Darius didn't try. He tried all day long to figure out a way to save Daniel, but there was nothing that could be done. Finally, it, it seems that it must have been late in the day, maybe at dark. He, they, he couldn't put them off any longer. He couldn't stall any longer. And those guys came to him one more time and said, hey, uh, you know, we've got to put him in the lion's den now. So uh, let's read directly from the Scriptures. This is Daniel 6, verses 16 and 17. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, who you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So Daniel's, Darius is holding on to the hope that, that somehow the Lord will rescue Daniel. Daniel had a reputation for faithfulness, and, and God could certainly save him without breaking a sweat. But let me ask you this. God can rescue His people, but is He obligated to rescue us from all our troubles? It'd be nice, but no. God doesn't have to spare us from every trouble. I want you to listen to this next line very carefully. It is a difficult truth, but a big one. The proof of God's love for you is not in giving you a trouble-free life. That is not a fun truth, but it's a real truth. The proof of God's love for us is not in giving us a trouble-free life. If he rescues us from our troubles, to God be the glory for his deliverance. But if he does not rescue us from the troubles of this life, to God be the glory for the opportunity to honor him with patient endurance. Two and a half millennia later. Well, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they lowered Daniel in the pit of lions. And the kind of the way it reads, uh, it's, it's inconclusive what has happened to him. Maybe it's already dark enough they can't see down in the pit. They don't hear that the lions have eaten him, but, you know, we're not sure. You lowered into a pit with hungry lions, you, you have an expectation of what's going to happen. But they really didn't know. And uh, the Scriptures tell us that King Darius went back to his palace, but he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep. He knew that this was really his fault. It, it was his thirst for validation that made him so easy to manipulate. And when they came to him and said, hey, why don't you make yourself like, like some of these great emperors and declare yourself divine, he ate that up. He fell for that manipulation. 
And now it looked like it was going to cost Daniel his life and, of course, cost Darius his very best advisor. So two and a half millennia later, this thing is still a trap. Seeking validation in the wrong places will cost you so much. If you're looking, especially to people, for to, to make you feel good about yourself, boy, are you going to be in trouble. Because even the good ones can only do it for so long. It's fun. You know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of uh, weddings, and I used to do a ton of premarital counseling. What I kind of found out is people will jump through my hoops, but they, um, they just want to get married. So I'm like, okay, we'll do some premarital counseling, but can we, you know, let's keep in touch. Let's keep this thing going. Because what you will eventually find out when you're in a relationship is that if you're expecting that person that you married to always be your source of validation, you're asking something of them that they cannot provide. They're not wired to provide that. Even if they love you so much, they cannot be your sole primary source of validation as a person. See, in our culture, we get it. This is fed to us all the time that whoever we're in a relationship with should be validating us all the time. And if they're not, then we're free to get that validation elsewhere. And usually that's, you know, somewhere that they shouldn't, should not be. And social media has made that all too easy. You know, and, and it's, we can spend a lot of time being angry and hurt and unhappy because we're not getting something from someone who can't give it in the amounts that we think they should the validation trap will mess with your self-image mess with relationships it makes it easier for the devil to trip you up and and um well let's just go on with the story here when the sun rises darius he he hurries to the pit of lions and let's read some starting at verse 19 then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions and when he came to the den he cried out with a lamenting voice to daniel the king spoke saying to daniel daniel Servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Now we know God is able, but did he do it? Two different questions. The scriptures don't say anything about a dramatic pause here. I think a dramatic pause would be good. Like, okay, is he going to answer? Is he going to answer? I don't know. Probably didn't happen. A voice does come from the pit at some point. And let's look at verse 21. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Just a little reminder, king, I'm in here. Not because of anything I did. So um, what, did, what did this look like? The scriptures don't really give us a description of, of what Daniel was doing in there. You Like the old Bible story books, just kind of have Daniel just chilling in there with the lions. You know, I picture him just sort of propped up on an elbow, petting a lion, kind of oozing some... Like Jeff Goldblum-esque confidence. Like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm down here with the, uh, the lions, and uh, <laughs> they didn't eat me. Uh, how about that? Uh, you know, I can't, that's a terrible Jeff Goldblum, and I will never try that again until I practice more. Um, <laughs> uh, forgive me, forgive me, that was, that was terrible. That was terrible. Um, but we really don't know. You know probably what was happening because it's morning, and we know what Daniel does three times a day. He's probably praying. 
He's probably doing his best to figure out in the pit which way is Jerusalem, and he's praying in that direction. And um, you know, he's he's doing what he does because Daniel's consistent. Man, I wish I was consistent like Daniel. I want that spiritual consistency. So King Darius is so relieved. You know, his desire for validation just about got Daniel eaten. Now that Daniel is safe, um, you know, they pull him out of the pit, and the king says, hey, go get those guys. Go get those guys who had this idea, and you put them in the pit. And the Scripture says the lions pounce on before they ever hit the floor. Then Darius made this decree that everyone should respect the God of Daniel. Now, does that mean that Darius became a believer? Um, Probably not. But at least it made it a friendlier environment for other believers in Jerusalem. Because in a few short years, these, these Jews are going to be released to go back to Jerusalem. And they're going to go with a lot of favor of the, the Persian Empire. So maybe this was a step in the right direction towards uh, having that favored position. So with the end of chapter 6, the narrative section of Daniel is set aside. Beginning at chapter 7, we're going to see some prophecies. Boy, are they weird. You need to read ahead in the book of Daniel. Read ahead, read ahead for chapter 7 next week. Um, it's weird. It's really weird, but it's a cool kind of weird. You know, like a cool, like a cool, like my kids say. I'm weird, but I'm a cool kind of weird. Right? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. My son in the front row said, well, we don't say that. We don't say that. Thanks, buddy. So, look at me, seeking validation. Didn't quite get it, did I? Yep, it's a trap, that seeking validation. Thank you uh, for being an unintentional sermon illustration. Um, learned this week that um, my daughter had to, to give like a, a presentation at school, and she used me as her illustration for something, and I thought, my, how the tables have turned. Ain't nothing like being a preacher's kid and making a... An appearance in most of the sermons. So, good kids. I got to brag on them. Man, they're good kids. They're awesome kids. I'm so proud of them. So, um, what's the lesson of the lion's den anyway? Well, the obvious one is God is able to deliver us even from impossible circumstances. You probably got some places in your life where you feel like you're facing some impossible odds, like it won't work out, like what you're in the middle of can't have a solution. Well, we see in this story that he can even send his angel to hold the mouth of a lion shut. It's pretty obvious they would have liked to have eaten Daniel. It, it wasn't like Daniel's like, here, kitty, kitty, and made friends with him. No, they would have liked to have eaten him, but God sent an angel to stop the lion and uh, stop the, all the, the lions. We aren't likely to be thrown into a pit. But we do have a lion after us. Do we know whom the scriptures calls, uh, compares to a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? The enemy, Satan. And uh, we, we can miss the fact. I know we, we live in 2022 in America and the West, and a lot of this spiritual stuff isn't talked about as much. But let me tell you, the devil's just as alive and active in our country and in our culture as he is in any third world place where a lot of it is a little more on the surface where where people are like openly demon possessed and stuff 
But he's, you think he's taking a break? No way. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the devil is alive and well in America today. So we need to understand that we do have an enemy, but God is for us. And who can be against us when God is for us? Be aware, though, that that enemy, that roaring lion, will use all the tricks that he has, and one of them is this trap of validation. And in our time and in our culture, that seems to be one of his most prominent weapons is drawing on people's desire to be validated he can manipulate us so that's the the not so obvious lesson of the lion's den there wouldn't even been a story of the lion's den except for the power the manipulative power of flattery and the desire to be validated as humans we hunger and thirst for that doesn't have to be a problem but it does make us vulnerable most of the things we look for for validation can't provide it very long. Even let's just say in this story that Dar- it worked out for Darius and then uh, you know didn't have the little problem of Daniel about to get eaten. How long would it have lasted? Thirty days. Thirty days, and that's all the validation he would have gotten out of it. And then what? Even the very best people in your life who love you the most cannot truly make you feel validated and worthy not really we cannot ask them to do something that no human being can do so where do we find our validation our meaning our purpose our identity as one place the father the son the holy spirit in almighty god if you are looking for the people in your life to make you feel like you're worth something Even if they try their hardest, they can only do so much. You've got to find your meaning in Jesus. Everything else is ultimately empty. Even the best things we have in life cannot compare to what we can find in Jesus. What is is that line, that last line of that song we did? Um, uh, Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. If you're looking for it for anywhere else, you're not going to get it. It's just not there. It's good. You should have good, healthy, strong relationships. But if you're expecting them to make you feel like you're worth something, they cannot do that. You've got to find that in Almighty God. Let's just pray right now. Heavenly Father, help us to receive both lessons here from this story. First, that you're able to rescue us from our enemy, the roaring lion, Satan. God, may we cry out to you. And Lord, I want to cry out right now on behalf of some folks who may feel attacked. Lord, something was shared with me this morning about uh, what seems to be an attack from the darkness. And we pray against that in the name of Jesus, rebuking the devil and all his minions. God, will you please give us an understanding of what the devil tries to do in our lives, to turn our heads with flattery and... and, uh, disrupt so much of our happiness by looking for meaning and validation and worth in places that cannot provide it god may we find it in jesus lord i want to pray for every soul that is receiving this either in person or later on as they listen to this message or watch this message that they might find their validation in jesus god we thank you that you sent your son to die for us that you raised him again on the third day And thank you that we may have eternal life in him and meaning in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, go back and go read Daniel chapter 7.
that's going to be a lot of fun. And let's get ready for Easter. We're going to have a good time. God bless you guys. I'm so glad you're here today. We'll see you next week. Take care.